Welcome to the History of North America. I'm Mark Vinette. On his final expedition, while still searching for the Northwest Passage, Henry Hudson became the first European to see the Hudson Strait and the immense Hudson Bay in northern Canada. In 1611, after wintering on the shore of James Bay, Hudson wanted to press on to the west, but most of his crew mutinied. The mutineers cast Hudson, his son, and seven others adrift in a small open boat, effectively marooning them in Hudson Bay. The castaways were given clothing, powder, and shot, some spikes, an iron pot, some food, and other miscellaneous items. What happened to the famed captain after his ship, the Discovery, lost sight of him? Was he murdered? Did he become part of an indigenous tribe? Was he held captive? Let's examine the possible fates of Henry Hudson with help from the Gone Podcast. In 1611, explorer Henry Hudson, his son, and seven of his crew were abandoned in the Canadian wilderness after a mutiny. Rescue ships didn't arrive until the following spring. By then, Hudson and every single one of his men were gone, vanished, it seemed, without a trace. A host of theories emerged, purporting to explain their strange disappearance and the fact that they didn't leave behind a trace, not a bone, not a living structure, nothing. But none of the theories rested on any evidence, mostly because there was no evidence. But then, after nearly 350 years of false leads and dead ends, material evidence finally surfaced. In 1959, a crew of road workers repaving Highway 17 in the Ottawa Valley found a rock that said, H.H. 1612, Captive. It was presumed that it may have been a tombstone or a prison carving. But it was significantly downriver from where Hudson and his men had been abandoned on the other side of difficult-to-navigate branching waters. If this rock really had been carved by Hudson, how had it ended up 500 miles south of the bay? And what had happened to his remains? The records of another explorer, Samuel de Champlain, may provide the answer. Champlain was working in the northern U.S. and southern Canada region around the same time as Hudson's expeditions. In 1613, two years after Hudson's disappearance, Champlain was traveling up the Ottawa River to present-day Hudson Bay, not knowing what had transpired there two years before. Nicolas de Vinu, a European man who had previously lived with the Algonquin people in northern Ottawa, was traveling with him. One night, de Vinu told Champlain an odd story he'd heard during his time amongst the Algonquin. Sometime recently, white sailors had tried to steal food from a tribe along the river's shores. In return, the Native Americans had massacred the entire party except for a single youth. This youth would have been about the age of Hudson's teenage son, John. But Champlain wasn't thinking about the younger Hudson. That connection wouldn't be made until 1959 and the discovery of the Hudson Stone. At the time, Champlain was simply shaken at the thought of the young, vulnerable captive and decided to look for the boy. However, his attempts amounted to nothing. 
The Native Americans who lived near the spot where the massacre was said to have taken place were hostile toward Champlain and his team. Champlain couldn't get anywhere near the community without risking life and limb. Champlain took the hint and abandoned his search. However, he and his team continued to hear stories about the white men who had been taken prisoner and killed by the local Algonquin tribe. If these stories really were about Hudson and his men, how had they ended up so far south and imprisoned? Timing is our most important clue. It was June 1611 when the group was abandoned. Weather would have been pleasant and food would have been plentiful for the warm months. At least one of the abandoned crewmen was reported to be a carpenter. They had a small boat. The rivers were melted and navigable in the pleasant weather. The men conceivably could have broken down their boat and used its parts to build a shelter. The wilderness during that season would have provided plenty of plant and animal life to sustain them. It's possible, even likely, that the men headed inland a little in order to take shelter from the wind, find food, build shelter, and maybe even attempt to trade with Native Americans. This worked for a time. Then the winters started to creep in. The men grew desperate for food. In a misguided attempt to survive, they tried to steal food from a local group of Algonquins. The Algonquins captured them, likely without much of a fight. Hudson's crew had no weapons and were weak from hunger and exposure. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-218-6010. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-218-6010. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-218-6010. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. The Algonquins took the men prisoner and transported them south on the Huracana River system and eventually the Ottawa River. Word then would have spread to other members of their community that they had white prisoners and among them a youth. Then something happened. Either the Algonquin decided to kill their prisoners, or the toll of disease, stress, and the elements quickly killed off the survivors from the crew. One survived for a time, John, Hudson's son. Accounts continued to surface about the mysterious white youth, some saying he integrated into Algonquin society, others saying he was tied up at camp along with the dogs. The theory is appealing. It's supported by material evidence, the Hudson Stone, and accounts in both Native American oral tradition and Samuel de Champlain's records. The timeline makes sense, too. But there's a major hole in this theory. The Hudson Stone was never professionally dated. Now, this is strange, given that accurate dating of the carvings could close the book on this 400-year-old mystery. Why not date it, unless it was a fake? 
In fact, several historians believe the carving comes from the 1800s, not the 1600s. Vandalism in stone, especially of Native American artifacts, was extremely common in the 1850s to the 1880s. Major ruins, such as the Casa Grande structure in central Arizona, bear damage and fake inscriptions from this era. Furthermore, some historians believe the HH wasn't actually Roman letters, but Native American carvings that happened to look like HH. The date was presumably added later as a reference to Hudson, and thus when the stone was discovered, it was erroneously linked to the missing explorer. Since the stone was found by itself with no other objects in the area that seemed related to it, it's possible that it was broken off from a larger set of carvings. Finally, there also has been no effort to find bodily remains in the area. Presumably, if the crew died there, they would have been buried nearby. Their bones or teeth may still be out there, buried in the dirt. Until the area is properly searched, the mystery of what happened to Hudson and his crew will persist. So, what really happened? While it's always possible the crew was simply thrown overboard and drowned, this is highly unlikely given Jewett's account of abandoning the crew with a boat. Plus, Jewett wouldn't have wanted to give his crew any ideas about simply throwing him overboard if their opinion of their new leader changed. In all likelihood, Hudson and the others were in fact given a boat and a chance to get to shore, just as Jewett claimed in his journals. As experienced sailors, they probably made it to shore. They also probably encountered Native Americans, but it's unlikely they had any positive relations with the locals. Hudson had no history of peaceful interaction with Native Americans, and local groups were known to avoid Europeans. Furthermore, if they had integrated with a local group, there would have been some sort of oral tradition documenting the foreigner's arrival. None exists. It's much more likely that Hudson and his men's fates follow the Hudson Stone version of events. While the Hudson Stone itself may have been a fake, it easily could have been inspired by real stories still popular in the region hundreds of years later. Furthermore, evidence suggests a reason for Hudson's strange behavior and the company's lack of good-faith effort to locate the missing men. Recently, historians increasingly believe that Hudson wasn't on a mission to find a Northwest Passage at all, but instead to find a new area for a lucrative port of trade, much like New York Harbor for private investors. According to this theory, however, Hudson was sworn to secrecy by his backers. This was why Hudson pushed so hard that winter and why he wouldn't actually tell his men what he was looking for. It also could have been part of why the men were angry enough to mutiny. This could be why the companies were lax in their efforts to recover the crew. They could have been covering up the deal, which may not have been entirely legal. Regardless of why Hudson was actually in Canada, he died a failure, abandoned by his crew never having reached his goal. And yet, countless landmarks and establishments still bear his name over 400 years later. Henry Hudson's career was mired in failure and arrogance, and his short-sighted obsession with finding a route through the bay that now bears his name led to his demise. Although it's most likely that whatever remains of Hudson is hidden below the frozen waters of the Hudson Bay, 
So long as there is no conclusion to this particular mystery, there will still be those who wonder what befell the ill-fated explorer. Given the four centuries since his disappearance, it's likely we will only ever be able to guess at what really happened to Hudson, his son, and his abandoned men. Check out the YouTube version of this episode, which has accompanying images. I'm Mark Vinette, and I hope you're enjoying the ride. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.